You are listening to the Archaeology Podcast Network. Welcome, fellow island lovers. You're listening to A History of the Caribbean in 100 Objects. This is a podcast about the rich history of the cultures and societies of the Caribbean told through objects from the earliest period to modern times. I'm Alice Sampson. I'm a Caribbean archaeologist and a lecturer at the University of Leicester. And I am Angus Moll. I'm also a Caribbean archaeologist and I'm a postdoctoral fellow at Stanford University. And you probably haven't heard from us for a, for a few weeks. We've been a bit quiet over the summer, hey Angus? Yeah, we've been, we've been busy, Alice. I mean... Um... You know, important people, places to see, stuff to excavate. <laughs> in my case, uh, the excavation was mostly taking place in the form of uh, dirty nappies, <laughs> dirty diapers. <laughs> <Lucky>. <laughs> because I, uh, in fact, uh, did not do uh, field work this uh, summer, but I did do a lot of exploring in the exciting field of fatherhood. My Haley and I, we were uh, very lucky to um, to be graced by the presence of a new family member. Hannah, Jamaica, and Rihanna. And um, so, yeah, that's what I've been up to for most of my summer, which is, of course, not what we really want to talk about on an archaeology podcast. What have you been up to this summer? Well, congratulations, Angus and Haley. <laughs> that's fantastic news. You certainly had an eventful summer. And I had an eventful summer, too, in a, in a slightly different way. I, did, I went to the Caribbean. I went back to the beautiful island of Mona. Um, between Dominican Republic and Puerto Rico, this time with a couple of students from the University of Leicester who got a taste of what it's like to do Caribbean archaeology and sleep on the beach in a hammock. I was over there again with Jago Cooper from the British Museum and our colleague Kate and working with Puerto Rican students from the, the Center of Advanced Studies in Puerto Rico as well and a PhD student from the University of Puerto Rico. And we had a couple of weeks exploring caves and doing a, a test pit survey of a beach site out on Mona Island and it was absolutely fantastic I have to say it was a fantastic season of Caribbean fieldwork I was sad to come back oh, it does sound very fantastic and then of course you you're being humble again there was a little bit of media attention there too right oh yeah yeah so we had some exciting media coverage of some um, work that we've been doing over the last couple of years um, documenting uh, rock art and also historic graffiti in some of the caves in Mona which documented the encounter between uh, some of the first generations of Spaniards in the New World and and their their views on uh, native indigenous cosmology, what they found in the caves and their opinions on it. So, yeah, it was exciting. And maybe we should talk about that in a, in a future podcast. It, it sounds like something that we don't just want to jam into the introduction of this podcast. I think we will get back to either one of those objects that you'll find in the caves or in, or in the field, in the site itself, the survey itself. And, uh, yeah, give a bit more attention uh, to that. Um, we are going to be talking about mm, spooky places like caves today because Alice, right? I mean, yeah. uh, it's going to be. Um, yes, yeah, so I, I guess this is our Halloween episode then. I mean, I tell you, Alice, I mean, I, I'm now in the States and I, of course, in the Netherlands, as you know, Halloween is not a big, big thing. It's starting to become a bit bigger now. But here it's, it's massive. It's like, uh, as soon as August ends, you have people that are already, you know, draping their trees in, in cobwebs and putting skeletons in their front yard. And not real ones, fake ones, of course. <laughs> <laughs> uh, 
And, uh, you know, there's this horrible orange monster on TV as well all the time uh, with his really weird hairdo. I think he's some sort of zombie. Um, so, <laughs> so it really, and of course, pumpkin spice in everything and everywhere you have the scent of pumpkins. How's, how's that with, uh, in England? Is that, a, is that a thing? You know, I haven't seen a single pumpkin yet, but uh, yeah, hopefully, hopefully people will start putting them out soon. I like walking pe- past people's houses and seeing seeing pumpkins in the windows or in the garden with candles inside. Uh, but I haven't I haven't seen any this year so far. I think that certainly Halloween in England is a far more understated affair than it is in the United States, definitely. Well, m- many things are a bit more understated uh, in England than in the United <laughs> States, maybe. <laughs> but, uh, well, we also won't be talking about pumpkins. Uh, what, however, will we be talking about, Alice? Well, we're going to be talking about a creature that only comes out when it's dark and can make you feel slightly queasy. We're going to be talking about a bat. And I know that, you know, some people are a bit scared of bats aren't they angus i mean for sure i mean some people are i mean not not brave archaeologists like yourself and myself absolutely uh, no 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 i mean i'm i'm sure that there's nobody that remembers because it was just the two of us right Mm -hmm. in the uh one of the little surveys of the caves in el cabo during that field work there um that we in fact entered one of those caves very very bravely to see if there was any ancient material to be found there and that we walked just beyond the edge of the light and we switched on (laughs) on our flashlight and we saw thousands and thousands of bats and then we ran away like little girls (laughs) yeah thousands and thousands of tiny eyes staring back at us i didn't run away like a little girl i ran away like a like an intrepid explorer getting Ah. out of somewhere that that should be escaped (laughs) from but we were younger in those days angus i don't think we would do the same again i mean i was practically a little girl still so yes (laughs) (laughs) So anyway, I mean, we understand. So if you're really, there's probably like an actual term for, for bat phobia. I mean, we've got arachnophobia, fear of, fear of spiders. All right. I mean, mm-hmm. people that are bat phobic, then maybe uh, you don't want to listen to this episode because we will be talking about a very, very bat shaped object. In this case, that's also the reason why it might make an alternative reason why it could make you squeezy is that this particular bat-shaped object is in fact a vomit spatula. Um, well, maybe that's not an intuitive concept for you to grasp, a vomit spatula. I mean, vomit <laughs> and spatula maybe, but how they come together. Uh, I think before we talk about that, uh, maybe we are first going to talk about what the object actually looks like. Right, Alice? Yeah, that's that's a good idea. So I'm looking at a picture of it right now. It's about, it's a sort of stick-shaped object. It looks like a double-handled piece of cutlery, like a, like a knife with two handles. And in the middle, it's got a bat, basically. It's about 20 centimeters, 23 centimeters long. And there's a sort of human-bat figurine hybrid in the middle. So it's got a bat's head, but human arms with hands clasped in the middle and its legs in a sort of crouched uh, position. These could be humans, human legs. They could be, they could be frog's legs. And if you turn it over, you can see the bat's bottom and shoulder blades as well. Right. And I mean, it's one of those objects that I think we've, we've talked about animals being difficult to interpret. I think it, this is one of those others, other objects that if you look at it, it's, it's kind of clear that this is a bat because it has those pointy, pointy ears it has these i mean the, the the blades of sort of the ends of the of the, the object itself look kind of like wings a little bit it's mm. it has this little you know it's in a bit of a bad position and it has this this typical bad nose right um 
well, it's it's a bone object. It is not made from bad bone because that would be way too tiny and fragile to do anything with. Um, uh, but it is made from the rib bone of a manatee, another of these Caribbean creatures that we uh, probably should talk about at some point. But um, mm -hmm. so a manatee, uh, which is a large sea mammal, um, or also known as a sea cow, I think in some languages, they have big ribs and they allow you to craft a lot of very nicely shaped implements from. This particular object is from Macau, the site of Macau in the Dominican Republic, and it's currently in the Garcia Arevalo collection uh, in Santo Domingo, where you can, if you make a special appointment, still see it. Or is that not the case anymore, Alice? How is the Garcia yeah. Arevalo uh, collection doing in terms of accessibility nowadays? I think that you can go and visit it. If you if you make an appointment beforehand, then it's publicly accessible. You can go and view that collection. Yes, and it's definitely well worth the trip. It's in the Pepsi Cola factory in the middle of Santo Domingo, and it's a fantastic collection yeah. of um, indigenous artifacts from Dominican Republic. Yeah, that that alone, the fact that it's in the Pepsi factory <laughs> makes yeah. makes it makes it worthwhile <laughs> just to go there. And you can sort of you know you can also be like an industrial tourist as well as a a tourist of the lovely heritage of the Dominican Republic. Um, so, as I said, it's a vomit spatula. But mm. what is, in fact, a vomit spatula, Alice? Well, um, it's an object that's used in a highly elaborate indigenous ritual described by Spaniards in the 16th century. This is called the Cahoba ritual. Um, and the Cahoba ritual, I guess, is a way of getting in touch with your ancestors, for consulting with the dead, for divining the future, mostly through entering a state of trance through a sequence of fasting and then taking of hallucinogenic drugs. Vomit spatulas assisted with this um, by purging the body. So you would basically stick these things down your throat. They can be made of bone. Some, I think, are even made of shell. Lots are made of wood. And where they preserve, well, we have some beautiful wooden wooden examples. It looks a bit like a shoehorn. You stick it down your throat. Um, <laughs> you vomit. And yeah, it sounds pretty horrible. It probably felt pretty horrible. But it was a way of getting rid of the contents of your stomach to make the effects of the hallucinogens that you then took even more pronounced, basically. So it would massively increase the impact of your trip basically basically that, that's that's yes. it yes <laughs> yeah and we we have a lot of um other material culture from the caribbean related to the cahoba ritual including um sniffing tubes and and snuffing pipes related to taking these hallucinogenic drugs also cahoba stands or cahoba tables in which you'd put the crushed up powder of certain seed pods on there um, to snort, and they all have sort of um, similar iconography, some batty, some birdie, and some sort of human forms on them. They're generally sort of highly decorative um, and, and beautiful, beautiful pieces. Yeah, and I'm sure we will talk about some of those other implements of the Cohoba ritual and in the, about the Cohoba ritual itself in much more detail, about the people that were engaging mm. in it and its sort of communal uses. It's a very fascinating thing. But here we want to zoom in on this particular object being a bat. Because, of course, Halloween, scary stuff, um, bats. Well, now, actually, I have to say that if there are not thousands of little beady eyes staring at me at the same time, I don't find bats that scary, right? And many people don't. In fact, <laughs> Haley, once again, she loves, she loves scary animals. Uh, she, she thinks <laughs> bats are probably among the, you know, the, the, top, the, the top five cute animals that are out there. Um, however, in fact, it seems like sort of a little bit of a fear of bats was maybe also present in the pre-colonial Caribbean um, because bats have been connected to a concept that was that's known as opia and opia 
is uh, we once again go back to the writings of Frère Montpanet, who um, is uh, a friend of our matinee or something like that. <laughs> we have to make we have to make this rhyme somehow. Frère Montpanet, dead friend of the show. <laughs> yes, <laughs> <laughs> for sure. <laughs> yeah, exactly. So, in the writings of Frey Ramon Panay, Opia feature, well, not centrally, but they are there. And they are contrasted to, if you remember in our very first episode, uh, Guaisas, which were the spirit of the living, and Opia are the spirit of the, the dead, of deceased people, or of the ancestors, maybe. And Frey Ramon Panay says that, in fact, these uh, spirits can appear everywhere um, and actually look like regular persons, except for the fact that they do not have a navel. But he also says that if you go and, you know, tangle up with them, or you're going to you know, try and, and touch them somehow or try and grab them somehow, you'll end up hanging in a tree yourself. And that these, these opia are also coming out at night very prominently. Well, then, um, Juan José Arom, which is a, a very famous uh, Dominican historian and archaeologist, he made the connection between Opia and pets. Also because there were some writings that Opia were very interested in in eating uh, things like guava fruits. So the, the spirit of the dead were interested in eating things like guava fruits, which is, of course, in the Caribbean, there's no such thing as vampire bats. Every single bat there is either looking for insects or for... Uh, for fruit, and most of them are, I think, actually fruit-eating bats. So that's where you'll see bats flocking to at night. You'll see them going to the, to the lovely uh, su- sweet fruit that you can find in the Caribbean. You can sort of see that it would be kind of scary to just be encountering the spirit of dead people um, at any point, especially if they don't have navels. That seems kind of scary to me. <laughs> but um, Opia were also feared because, uh, and that is not in the writings of Frere Montpanet, but in a person that I don't, we've mentioned as, as well, we talked about him as well, Las Casas, the Las Casas. I think it's one of the f- first, f- in episode number four, maybe. He also did a lot of writing on the particular belief systems of the people here. And he states that um, he, when he's talking about the treatment of sick people in Hispaniola, that they would place sick and dying people far, far outside their houses. Um, because they, in fact, feared hupias or opias. And because if a sick person would die in a house, then that opia, that spirit, would stay at that place, in that, that location, and would assault the people that were still living there. So you can see that, you no, know, aside from it just being a scary thing to encounter that person, you know, being physically assaulted by... Uh, <laughs> Your your just deceased dead grandmother is maybe not something that you uh, that you want. So um, opia was kind of a, a scary scary thing in the Caribbean. In fact, uh, something that is uh, also represented this very idea not only in the Greater Antilles, but it's one of those ideas that also finds it, its way um, to uh, the Lesser Antilles of, of the island Carib, uh, among the island Carib or the Kalinago people who also had um, a spirit being and even a deity called Mapoya or Opoyen. And Mapoya, the deity, was in fact sort of the enemy of the sun. He was the cannibalistic spirit that ate the sun. And Breton, it's another um, writer, another chronicler, but in this case a French missionary, wrote something uh, very interesting about the, about this, about the fear of Mapoya in or Opoyen in among the island Carib. Because he said in his writings, he says, 
well, these Kaninago people, they're also, some of them are very melancholic and you're just, you know, not very happy, happy people. Apparently, I don't know. I, I think they're now, nowadays, they're very happy people, but maybe when he was there, they weren't very happy. And he said that they were so moody because their sleep was haunted by black smoke that caused nightmares. And in those nightmares, they dreamed they were being taken by Mapoya that then beat them up. And so he literally says, if I saw them being in sorrow, I would wake them. And some of them would have readily thrown themselves to their knees to thank me because I had defended them from Mapoya, which beats them. So, you know, it's it's kind of a... This is heavy stuff, Angus. This is absolutely terrifying, being assaulted by the spirits of the dead who beat you up in the night. No wonder bats were frightening symbols perhaps i mean and of course i mean we, it's it's something that is actually very recognizable because if you think now probably like five out of ten scary movies have to do with for example things like hauntings or or mm. being possessed by something so here too it's like the idea that you're you know in your own house you're not safe you can be physically even or even or otherwise mentally assaulted by by something that is other than human that you cannot interact with and that you cannot control that's a very scary thought yeah. of course and whose identity is very difficult to determine if they can appear in the guise of a bat or something very recognizable like a normal normal human being and the only way to check is to check whether they've got a belly button or not yeah. this is also very frightening that you might not recognize the form in which a nightmare or a threat that the threat the threat of violence comes yes yes very true very true and uh and I, so i guess that it's one of those things i mean i'm, I'm sure that they're that the people in the pre-colonial period wouldn't be running away from from all the bats that they saw, but it's still something that would probably make have made them uneasy to get too close to. And in fact, even today, I mean, in Jamaica, people generally don't really like to enter caves, and they don't generally take a good liking to bats. And if sort of a final final thing that we can insert here in, in terms of like connecting it up to the present day. Um, there's the concept of obia in, in voodoo, and I'm not mm. an expert on this. Some people have said that obia is related to a West African language, but I think that it, there's a nice, co nice coincidence there that opia and obia have something. So obia is the, the darker parts of, of, of the voodoo magic, if I understand it. So your, uh, the ability to, for example, control people and, and also, as, like magically assault them. So maybe there's a link there too, which is very tenuous, but at the same time, it, it may be there. Yeah, indeed. And, and sort of sticking with, with the Halloween theme as well, maybe that's definitely something we should explore for a future episode. Maybe Zombies. when we have someone on the show who knows a lot more about, yes. uh, about Caribbean Creole religions like voodoo, for example, and then we can start uh, also thinking about the similarities between the terms zemi and, and zombie example oh that's another nice one oh i, I yeah. like that alice yes that's you know next year halloween people uh, start looking forward to it already <laughs> yeah yeah but you've taken us to very dark places in that uh, little episode there angus i'm i'm beginning to feel a bit scared myself and just looking back at our little bat-shaped vomit spatula it doesn't look so scary now no actually it doesn't look that scary at all i think yeah, and, and you know, he or she probably would have been quite a pretty bat as well, because you can see at the, now the eyes are empty hollows, the mouth is empty. Um, these probably would have had inlays of some sort, um, and, and the ears are also pierced, so maybe also uh, would have had ear earrings or earplugs or feathers inserted into them. So I think, 
think this bat would have looked quite pretty and not very scary at all. And maybe the reason why bats and bat iconography is so prominently depicted in rock art and on ceramics and on this um, vomit spatula is in a way to sort of harness this or t- to control this more sort of malevolent side of of um the, of bat symbolism or uh, bats and opia and to turn it into something that you can control yes that's so, of course yeah that's that's the thing with 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 magic we often think about it like more or kind of symbolism we think of it thinking in terms of like dichotomies but at the same time something that you can be afraid of can also be very powerful and therefore for example help helpful in as a somebody that's engaging in a cohoba ritual to in fact go to that other place where the spirits are so you know there's probably very there's helpful aspects to this uh, particular um, particular betty as well indeed <laughs> all right um i guess um you know because there is in fact that's you already stressed this there's much more better iconography so it, we may end up talking about something better like again in a future episode but I think as far as the more malevolent, malevolent aspects of bats that we've covered it for now. So um, uh, I guess that uh, all that is left for us now is to wish you a, a happy Halloween, of course. That's first of all. And uh, we would still, although we're not really new anymore, Alice, I, I'm thinking because we sort of had a gap during the summer, I conceive of this as like our second season right mm, i think yeah, i think yeah. that the executives that were you know in charge of of uh, whitelisting this particular podcast that's you and i um <laughs> that they sort of said okay let's let's do this one more season for sure and see how they do and um, we actually did quite quite well i think we are getting some lovely feedback now and again from people right people that that write in um to our emails and give us feedback or that uh, give us feedback uh, over facebook or twitter or things like that and I think in general, it's been really good, the, the, our first season, quote unquote. Uh, and uh, we'll, we'll be continuing this for uh, for quite a while still. Uh, would, would make that as extra happy if you uh, keep us keep sending us feedback. And of course, five-star ratings on iTunes and reviews on iTunes really go a long, long way in terms of getting this podcast out there. But what also goes a long, long way is sharing this podcast with friends, family, pupils, Maybe some bad spirits, if you like. <laughs> but anyone, basically. Word of mouth is um, is still one of the best ways for podcasts to get around. Well, of course, you can also say that you can reach out to us on Twitter. <laughs> oh, I could do, couldn't I? <laughs> oh, yeah, I was getting so carried away <laughs> with your spiel at the end. You could indeed reach out, out to us at Twitter um, at uh, shoresoftime.com. And yeah, thank you so much for listening. We really do appreciate all your feedback. It's really fantastic to hear what people think of these um, podcasts and to think of and what they think about some of the some of the objects that we've been um, discussing. And you can always go to www.shoresoftime.com for pictures of the objects that we talk about in these episodes. Yes, you can. And that's all for now. Please tune in next time uh, when we will once again be talking about something fascinating, but maybe less scary. We will speak to you then. Goodbye for now. And please remember what the great Bob Marley said. In this great future, you can't forget your past.
This podcast is part of the Creative Commons under the Attribution Sharealike 4.0 International License. And it was made possible thanks to a Rubicon grant from the Netherlands Organization for Scientific Research. This has been a presentation of the Archaeology Podcast Network. Visit us on the web for show notes and other podcasts at www.archaeologypodcastnetwork.com.